Folks, welcome back to Spooky Mechanics, the only podcast about... Uh-oh, spooky I didn't think of a spooky thing, Michael. Oh. Uh, what's a spooky thing? Um, gosh. Well, we're gonna have to start over. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Express Mechanics, the only podcast about all th- shit. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, welcome back to Surprise Mechanics, the only podcast about Dracula's demons and didgeridoos. I'm your co-host Roman Butel, and joining me, as always, is Spikel Bones. Greetings, gamer. I see you. Greetings, gamer. I see you. Some folks call you Spikel. I call you. Mm, let me reset that. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is with me right now? I got Splitgate on the mind. I think is what it is. The Splitgate brain. Split brain. I'm portaling all over the place. Some what I was gonna say was some folks call you Michael, but I call you Spikel. That is true. That that is uh, a a fun fact, as they say in the biz. Whether you want me to or not. A- absolutely, and uh, you know, it, I just I just learned to lean into it. Yeah, that's really all anyone can do around me. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about a game called Song of Horror. And I think it's fair to say this is a game that left us a little lukewarm, which we'll talk about. But this is one you found. I had never heard of it. How did you find this game? I found this uh, in the usual like mix of streamers and YouTube content that gets recommended to me. And um, in, in this particular case, uh, one horror game streamer that I like to watch on occasion was just playing this one day. And what caught my eye was in you know, this modern era of gaming, here we have a third person, like semi-fixed camera angle horror game, very much in the style of your old school Silent Hill or Resident Evil. And I have like a really soft spot for those types of games. So I was incredibly intrigued. I just had to check out what this was like. Uh, It was developed by Protocol Games, which is a small studio. And from what I read, they tried to get funding for this thing on Kickstarter years ago, and it didn't work, but they persevered, and they got their game made. And I do want to say at the top, before we get into anything, since I did kind of uh, tease our overall reactions a little bit, I just want to make it a point to say, this is quite an accomplishment for a small team, for, for an indie game. Uh, this thing feels like a triple A AAA game in a lot of ways. So despite what we're going to say about it, uh, hats off to the developers. They should feel proud. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. It has uh, a lot of polish to it in some of the right places and visually it's appealing to look at. And I think it holds up against like other games of the time. It might not look like, you know, The Last of Us or something to that nature, but it looks good. Right. Well, let's not waste any more time and let's jump right into the suite. All right, folks, welcome to the suite where we talk about all the things we liked or loved about Song of Horror. Uh, Michael, you already kind of said this, but just to reiterate, it does look very good. Uh, I think for both of us, graphics are not the end-all be-all. It is just one piece of the puzzle, and 
Uh, for me personally, it's not even the most important piece, but credit where it's due, this game looks really, really good, uh, especially when you remember it is a small team of people making this. Yeah, and I think the like the biggest part of it that looks good in, in, to me is there's a lot of uh, love and care in like the environmental design of this game. Um, you spend a lot of time walking around hallways of houses, shops, and apartment buildings, and libraries, and all of those environments look very good, which is something to be expected of a game that is in that like semi-fixed uh, camera angle type look. I mean, the developers already have a view in mind, so that camera angle should just showcase the absolute best of what they have to offer. And I think they do. My favorite part of Song of Four easily is the atmosphere. And yeah. the visuals lend a lot to that. Uh, but then additionally, like the the sound of walking through a place by yourself, this creepy vibe that comes from that, very, very well done. Sound design is quite good. And then there, there are some rooms that just have hauntingly frightening music just the atmosphere is enough to really get me sometimes when playing this yeah totally it's very lovecraftian very sort of horror beyond our understanding but also the game is broken up into episodic chunks there are five parts total and each part features uh essentially a new monster so it almost feels like a lovecraftian buffy the vampire slayer or something where it is sort of a monster of the week type of thing but there is a sort of um I don't know what how you'd want to describe it, but the, essentially there's like an entity that carries throughout the game, and that entity seems to be implied to be the same creature, the same being, but then they have a little friend with them every episode that's trying to terrorize you in some different way. Yeah, I think each episode so far, and I have gotten, I'm, I've not finished the game, but I've gotten to episode four, each one has like a different like manifestation of the presence, and and some episodes also have some additional like puzzles that involve a uh, like kind of presence mini game of sorts where uh, you are definitely being followed or watched by something that you can't quite see or comprehend and that all adds into this atmospheric horror scape of like suddenly the rest of the world around you has disappeared it has become eerily quiet and Every camera angle just feels like there's something in the shadows watching you as you walk through whatever environment you're in. Um, and and along with that, sometimes the presence seems to act in indirect ways as well. I, right. I remember in episode one, I, I was climbing the staircase of this house. And as the camera angle cut to a shot down the staircase facing my character... Behind my character, there was an open door and there was just like this figure standing in it before it backed away and shut the door. And it was like one, one of the most effective scares that I had seen. Uh, and I, I just, I really enjoyed that. So it all adds together where, you know, you're being watched. You really do feel it. And the environments that you're traversing are the kinds of places that like at night, it, all by yourself you know it, it doesn't it, it's it's very uncanny it's it's so good as a, a horror setting for sure right it's very very spooky uh it, it got me quite a few times i will say i uh really really had a great time with the first couple hours of this game i was all in and i was thoroughly scared 
And uh, yeah, it does a great job. There are some like pretty good jump scares, but then also some like you're describing where it's like you see things off in the distance. And uh, I remember in, uh, in the the first chapter, what whatever you want to call it, takes place in uh, a haunted house, basically. And I remember going up the stairs for the first time and seeing a child run across the hallway in the distance. Yes. Uh, that one was uh, that got me pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. Uh, as far as like the horror goes in this game, it's on point. Yeah, the developers did a phenomenal job with like all of those little creeping senses of uncanny and scary that are lingering all over the place. And and to add to that, I think the, the best part of the episodes, in my view, is like that beginning while you're exploring and the scares are just starting to ramp up. It almost feels like each episode is paced so that you can explore somewhat freely. And then as you start solving puzzles and exploring the the full uh, area that is in that episode, uh, that's when the dangers start to come out and, and come up out of the shadows at you. Um, just a, a very well-paced type thing as well. Like, I, I, I just cannot think of any game that does kind of the same thing in the sense of like i just walking around is enough to really get me unnerved in this one and honestly without the presence i think i would still be you know somewhat like content with just that just walking around the creepy haunted house or a shop or whatever and knowing that like you know there might be something there it might jump out at me it might not but I'm certainly spooked right now. Yeah, because there are uh, random jump scares in the game. Like you're not going to see the same exact scripted uh, scares or, or beats every single time. It goes a long way to create a sense of unease. And uh, even if you were, say, replaying a chapter or something, you're like, I don't know what what's going to happen. Right? It's like a haunted house, right? You know, yeah. whenever you turn a corner, you don't know what's lurking and waiting for you. And this is something you kind of highlighted on too already. But I just wanted to also mention was uh, each chapter in addition to introducing a new monster also comes with a mini game. And that is how you survive the monster essentially. So, uh, in the, I don't remember if this is actually in the second one or not, but in the first one you have to, if you're, when you're hiding from the entity in a closet or under a table, there's a heartbeat game you have to play where you have to keep your heartbeat in check. Uh, because otherwise you basically, your character freaks out and alerts the presence to where you are. Is that in further chapters as well? Yes, I, those scares can occur later as well. And then in episode two, they introduce a another type of presence that uh, requires you to control your breathing in a similar fashion. A lot of the, the mini games typically use some kind of like uh, pressure control, um, like the mm-hmm. triggers on your, your PlayStation controller, um, which they recommend to play this game with a controller. So I have so far. I did not, and I think that could have been a mistake. Yeah, I, I have no clue how like the pressure sensitivity would work on keyboard because that was a big part of the the breathing mini game was mm-hmm. you have to essentially hold the the triggers of the control stick and kind of like squeeze them slowly and release them slowly to uh, to match the diameter of this circle that expands and contracts uh, to to mim- to mimic your breathing, and in that effort control it so that you don't begin hyperventilating and alert the the presence to your presence. Um, It's not too different from like the feather in Celeste where you, you know, your breathing keeps it floating. Um, 
although it feels a little bit different because it's you know a different type of control you're you're scared you're not in the same kind of mood or frame of mind as you are in celeste and along with that um it it just feels a little different because it's a different game but i feel like the the idea is similar totally uh yeah i mean i I definitely would like to spend a little more time in here but that was really all i had for the suite i don't want to be a negative nancy this episode but i i am kind of tapped out (laughs) a lot of the best part of this game i think are in like the little details like I think it's it's really cute that the difficulty modes are named after famous authors. Like the normal difficulty is Edgar Allan Poe, and the developers added a hard mode which is called HP Lovecraft. Um, and then there are also two easier modes uh, that are named after other uh, well-known authors. It's a nice little touch. Yeah, I believe Medium is Ernest Cline, right? I think so. I think like those are nice little pieces uh, of detail. You know, it really shows that the developers have done their homework with regard to you know the the kind of material that they're looking to build their own story around. So um, you you can definitely feel that influence throughout the game, um, especially like I definitely feel that that HP Lovecraft influence is kind of like unknowable, unseen horror. Uh, lurking in the shadows the way that the game works itself is a little bit different than some of the games that might have uh, uh, taken inspiration from such as like Silent Hill Resident Evil uh, in that there is a permadeath feature and because Mm -hmm. of the permadeath there are also I think like up to 18 playable characters that are spread across the game's five episodes Um, the game was released in an episodic nature where um, back at the initial launch, you'd have to wait for the following episodes to be developed and released. Uh, but now you could just get the, the entire game as one complete package. Um, and when you begin an episode, you choose which character you wish to play as. And there's only one character in the game that you really have to take care of, and that is Daniel. He is the main character. If he dies, and you have to restart the episode from be- the beginning. But if you choose anyone else besides Daniel, um, some of which are those characters are maybe tied to that particular area of the game. Like there is a the daughter of a shopkeeper in episode two that you may play as because you're exploring that said shop uh, and apartment complex or uh, university students exploring a university library for clues. But then if those characters happen to get caught by the presence then you can choose another character to kind of pick up where they left off. Also, I just wanted to note here real quick too. uh, Like you said, you can buy this all as one collection, but you can still buy them as individual episodes. So I would actually say if you think you want to try it, but you're not sure how much of a commitment you want to make, it might be worth just paying $8 for the first episode and seeing how you like it. Yeah. And and to get an idea of like what the, what the game is about, because um, along with like the setting, the story is kind of important in a horror setting as well. So, uh, this, this game initially gave me the impression of, uh, the plot, to the John Carpenter film in the mouth of madness, which is, yeah. um, a famous author mysteriously goes missing and the publishing company begins searching for them. That's the same case here in song of horror. An author has gone missing and Daniel is sent to go ch- uh, search his house Daniel finds an impossible door and is trapped there over the weekend. Meanwhile, uh, the people who sent him to search for this author find him in a uh, very bad state 
and the author is still nowhere to be found. There are even more questions than answers, and it all revolves around this mysterious little melody emanating from a music box that has been shared with several people who cannot seem to get the melody out of their head. Thus, the song of horror. It doesn't necessarily follow the in the mouth of madness uh, plotline too much, and in fact, that in of itself might be a Lovecraftian inspiration rather than like a John Carpenter one. John Carpenter might have been inspired by Lovecraft. I think that's a pretty safe bet. <laughs> so that vibe is there, and uh, it's a good one. It's I think I think this game starts off pretty strong, and uh, since you know we, we kind of exhausted a little bit of what we like about it. That makes a good segue into the things that we're a little bit more lukewarm on. All right, folks, welcome to the sour. We talk about the things we didn't like or love so much about song of horror. Uh, Michael, you mentioned that you had not finished this. I also have not finished it. I actually quit in episode two. Uh, and I made, it was a very conscious decision to quit. I was originally just going to finish the second episode, but, um, something happened that made me go, I think I'm done. Uh, so for a couple reasons, I was kind of starting to not love my time with this game, but as we mentioned, there is a permadeath system and I don't think it's all bad. I just think it's, it is a little bit half baked because how it works is you get a message on screen that says your character story has ended. And then there'll be like some random cutscenes featuring certain characters like in between chapters, but they never quite acknowledge people that died. It seems, uh, for example, I started the first chapter as the uh, man who was missing, who then later becomes a playable character. Uh, I was his wife and I got killed. I believe we died in the same death because this game can also be pretty punishing unnecessarily. So, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And uh, nobody, including that character acknowledged that his wife was no longer uh, in the material plane. So that was a little strange, but what happened to me in episode two was I, uh, the presence appeared, and when the presence shows up, you have to hide. You have to find a hiding spot, and I will say the game makes it very clear that you need to be hiding, uh, because sometimes the way the presence manifests, it's kind of similar, so you don't know if you need to be hiding or you just need to kind of wait it out, because it's, you know, just being a little bit of a jerk and trying to spook you. But I found a hiding spot, and then I was slamming the hide button, and my character just didn't hide. And I don't, I, I truly don't understand what happened. I, I know full well it sounds like right now I'm just making an excuse, <laughs> but I, I was at the hiding spot and I was pressing E on the keyboard, which is the hide button. And my character just did not get under the table. Uh, I walked in a circle pressing E and nothing was happening. And then the presence came and took me to hell or wherever it takes you. And the game, uh, unless I had, I, I imagine, pulled the power from my computer, uh, the game does not let you quit once that happens because uh, I think the developers knew exactly what people were going to try to do, which was save scum. And that's exactly what I was going to do because I thought it was kind of stupid, but I couldn't. And my character died. And I believe I texted you right away and said, I think I'm done with this game. Yes. Um, that, that is a thing that I think about this game and the permadeath feature is one part of it that I'm really split on because I, I do not dislike permadeath in games i think it's an interesting feature that you can uh, uh you can incorporate in order to add some really fun challenges to in this game i don't think is an exception to that uh they, they've built in permadeath as like one of the primary features and so that's just how the game works but 
it, it does kind of feel weird that, you know, some characters that are close to the plot of the game, such as Sophie Daniel's ex-wife, um, just aren't mentioned, like like you said. So you, you kind of get a weird feeling about that where, you know, I played it this char- as this character. I was like genuinely upset when Sophie died. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't want to lose that character. And um, it does affect the way that you play. And, you know, you have to be a little bit more careful and uh, play it safe. Or if you're going to be risky, you know the consequences. Um, it just doesn't feel like it really pulls through in the narrative at all. Um, those characters that do end up dying in the course of the narrative just disappear from it as if they never existed before. And, you know, maybe we stumbled on a plot point that we haven't gotten to yet in the course of the game's narrative, but they are searching for this author who has been missing and other people have been affected by the presence and by the music box. So, you know, their involvement in the narrative surely means that the involvement of other characters should be acknowledged somehow. Right. Fair point. There very well could be a little, um, meeting at the end of something where the game says like here are the characters you lost and in their you know maybe you see them some as spirits or something right and and it's just it's kind of like weird that like those characters are unceremoniously just gone um yeah so i I do kind of wish there was something there that you know tied that thread all the way to its to its end um one of the things i also really dislike about this game and it's more of a quality of life feature than anything else is there is no way to remap the controls. There are no control options at all in this game. Uh, when you load it up and you go through the the options menu, uh, you can't even really see what buttons do and how the game works just from uh, you know looking through your control mapping. Uh, you have to rely on the game like telling you, oh, hey, this is a thing that's happening and this is how you do this. Press these buttons. And every time that there is a scare that is new... Uh, it does stop the game in its tracks and gives you an entire uh, full screen page of instructions for what to do next, which I think could be avoided because it, it breaks the action and the immersion. Right. And and so like once once you're in that moment, you're like, OK, let me read the instructions and then hopefully I don't, you know, screw up and and die. As far as controls go, like not only having an, a menu so you can remap controls, but just some quality of life things within those controls would be nice. The game is a third person fixed camera angle or semi fixed camera angle. I say, because sometimes the cameras truck or dolly and move with you throughout a scene. The way that the game controls is a big pet peeve of mine, because I think I've talked before about how I do like tank controls in games. I love classic resident evil. I love classic Silent Hill, and those games are the epitome of tank controls. And uh, I I defend them 100% uh, against the naysayers. However, this game being a tank control game, it is significantly different than the the feel of those previous games, um, and in, in a very mechanical way. Um, I would describe the nature of the tank controls in Resident Evil as being character-focused, where when you press forward, your character always walks forward. If you uh, press left or right, 
uh, left and right affect your your care your character specifically. So you always know if I you know if I'm walking forward and I need to turn left, I just have to turn the stick to the left. It feels like you're driving a character, whereas in this game the controls are what I call camera focused. If the camera is facing the character and your character is looking towards the camera itself, then forward on your joystick isn't forward for your character. It's turning your character 180 degrees and then walking in that direction behind you. Uh, your left is your right and your right is your left. Everything is reversed like you're looking in a mirror. But then when the camera angle changes, all of the controls are relative to that ca that new camera angle. So if the if the game breaks the the classic uh, film school 180 degree rule, well, it also changes your controls. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could definitely spend a lot of time in the weeds here, but suffice to say, it feels bad. <laughs> There's just no like, it it feels very bizarre. And I remember you and I talked about this off mic, and and you telling me that was was pretty eye opening because that's exactly the problem. I could not put my thumb on like what made the movement feel so strange, and I, but it just feels very very bad and clunky. Yeah, I don't have too strong opinion on tank controls at all. I can overlook them uh, or embrace them if I'm liking the game well enough. But this one was it was they were distracting. That and that's like the, where the the feel of that is everything. The feel of the movement and like w when it feels like you're dragging a camera or uh, you're dragging a character through the camera rather than just controlling the character themselves. Uh, it just it doesn't feel right. It it just like adds an extra layer of separation. And my characters just like bumping into things and going in all sorts of different ways that I didn't want them to do. And uh, I, I really wish there were more options to to adjust those things and make it a little bit more customizable. Yep, I agree. And, and uh, you know, I definitely I see I guess you could say I'm a real uh, tank control centrist because I could see like points made on either side of the debate. But I don't know, maybe it's it's, you know. This is probably not too mind blowing or whatever, but I think if a game is good enough, uh, and 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 I'm engrossed enough in it, uh, the control scheme is not going to bother me too much at a certain point. And I never got used to these controls, never, never. And that was when I was kind of like, I'm just going to try to finish episode two and just uh, then be done with it because I'm not having that much fun. I want to go back a little bit and talk about where we both lost our good friend Sophie because I'm pretty sure it happened at the exact same time, and it is in the first level. You find what is uh, essentially like a, a utility closet, and at the far end of the closet is a tub full of dirty water. And when you inspect it, it says something along the lines of, I really don't want to stick my hand in there, but if I have to, I have to. And this game is all about inspecting things and looking for clues. That's how you interact with the world. So I believe we both inspected that tub, and we are immediately pulled in by the presence, and that's it. Just instantly killed. And that kind of sat, I don't know, that rubbed me the wrong way because it felt like I was getting punished for just exploring and it's entirely possible I missed it, but nothing like that had happened in the game yet. There is a mechanic they introduced you, which I actually thought was kind of cool, where when you go up to a door after you've had like some sort of a supernatural encounter for a a set period of time, you can press your ear against the door and listen. And you may hear noises on the other side of the door, which is the essentially means you should not go in that room. 
so there was that mechanic, but there was never just a like straight up instant kill surprise. We gotcha. Like there was in that closet. And it felt like something that could have been in like a tutorial, like perhaps you're playing as a character and the tutorial ends with the game doing something like that. And then the game says, yeah, by the way, we'll do that. So be careful of anything you inspect. But there wasn't anything like that. Uh, and it felt like we just got severely punished uh, over something kind of trivial. I don't know. What did you think? I'm I'm a little bit uh, put off by the insta kill uh, things in this game. And, and there are plenty of them from rooms that you enter to things that you can inspect will just demolish your character and you have no input uh, aside from choosing not to inspect it. In this particular case, like inspecting that sink, I didn't agree with it. I was like, I, I kind of disagree with that as a design decision because uh, like you said, this isn't a, a, a game built around just searching for clues and inspecting things. And, um, in this particular case, I was kind of like at my wit's end, um, which mm-hmm. this this, this seg- goes straight into a, a point that I was going to make was um, some of the puzzles are pretty obtuse. And so right. I was, you know, searching all over for another item or another clue or another lead. What do I do next? And I did figure pretty early on after examining doors and listening through them. Uh, for the presence on the other side okay maybe i can't enter this room or i can't you know go here but you know i I, i'd leave things on my map so that there are things to do in case i run into a a dead end and in this case that sink was one of them and it just bugged me so i went to go check it out and it was it was an instant kill i i was a little sour that i was now stuck a second character comes in and the only other thing I have left to do is check one room in the house that I have not opened before. And that room was also an instant kill room, which I could tell because I heard the presence through the door, but I literally had nothing else that I could do that I could think of. It wasn't until I looked up a guide that I could really figure out what to do next. I did that and I figured, well, this is kind of weird. I'd I completed a puzzle. The game really didn't give me much feedback on what completing that puzzle did. And then I lost two characters because the only things remaining on my map that I could have done were go explore and check out these other things that might give me leads. But rather than, you know, doing that or just being other dead ends, you're, you're dead. <laughs> your, your character is dead. Yeah. Um, it feels like a more of a fuck you to the player than anything else in like well i didn't have a means or any agency to fight back it wasn't like a kill that was earned by the game (laughs) dare i say um it was just a an instant like okay you lost this character now come back in and you know speed run your way to this room to pick up your stuff and hopefully you'll figure out what to do next right Eh, i'm just gonna look at a guide i also very quickly reached a point where i was I was using a guide the whole time because not only were the puzzles obtuse and there's a lot of backtracking to stuff that you might not necessarily think to backtrack to, but it was like, well, screw it. I'm not going to let that happen to me again because now, well, and by that, I mean, uh, like checking something out and just immediately getting murdered for it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I definitely was just, it was a point where I was like, all right, I'm not, I would rather just be told what to do, to be honest. I, I couldn't think of anything else to do. So I just, you know, if I'm going to progress, I'm going to find a way to do so. And I feel like that's really at odds with the permadeath 
feature. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the, the permadeath feature kind of gives me the impression that getting through this game should be a, a less of like beating your head against a brick wall and, and more of, you know, maybe there are some skill based things that you have to try or, you know, surprises that, that pop up that, you know, you're not ready for. And so that skill check is the thing that catches you off guard. And then you have to start over. Given that each episode should average about three to three and a half hours of playtime, it is um, really unfortunate that like dying and having to start over, losing all your characters, having to start over, uh, feels more like a chore than it feels like, okay, I get to play more of this game. Right. There are so many games that feature that, that, that permadeath feature that, um, that I think do it well. And the game loop is 100% everything when it comes to that, where, you know, if, if I'm not ready to get back in the game and like go straight at what I was doing before because I died, then I, it is kind of questionable if it's necessary. Right. So you played farther than I did. Did you find like, I don't know, is there anything that would potentially change my mind after episode two? Does it very much feel like more of the same? It it definitely feels like more of the same. However, okay. I, I think that this game's strongest points are definitely its narrative. It it has like you know so, some good things with story. If if you're intrigued by the story, it's probably worth it to carry on. Um, but I I cannot see anybody playing this for the sake of the game itself. Um, as much as I love those like little atmospheric details and uh, walking around creepy environments, like that part of the game I do enjoy. Um, though um, sometimes the puzzle solving gets a little frustrating and the hiding mechanics get a little frustrating mm -hmm. and you just don't want to have to deal with that. So the story is like the last remaining thing that I see as a, a big draw. And I think that I will finish it to reach the end of the narrative, um, though it seems like a game that I might not come back to for some time because it, it honestly, like after completing an episode or after dying and have to restart an episode, I really do feel like taking a break. I, on the other hand, I, I'm not ruling out coming back to it, but I definitely will not be finishing it. <laughs> like the biggest downside is definitely like, hey, if you have a schedule <laughs> you know you, you, right. you've allotted some time and you spent you know a good hour or two for video games tonight um and in, in inside that hour or two you've struggled with this episode and now you're telling me i have to start from the beginning granted i know a few more things what to do i can just kind of streamline my playtime, but it's like a big drawback to like lose three or four hours of progress uh because that's the way the game's built um, and you have, you know, a day job and other commitments to, to think about. Right. Um, if I was like, like a, a teenager or a kid playing this game, it'd be no concern, but, um, you know, time is precious. So having been sent back that far, it's just kind of a, a deterrent to playing it any further. Sure. Uh, oh, well, did you have anything else you want to add? <laughs> <laughs> One of the mechanics with hiding usually involves, as I said before, just like pressure sensitive buttons. And there are a few varieties on like, you know, controlling your heartbeat while you're hiding in a wardrobe from the presence or 
um, holding your breath while you're hiding from a different version of the presence. These are okay, I think, in execution, but Mm -hmm. um, I think they could use a little bit more feedback because sometimes I just don't know why I failed or I don't know why I succeeded. Um, Characters often will say after one of those moments, after succeeding, um, hiding from the presence, like, oh... I almost didn't get out of there alive. And I'm like, was that like feedback for me that, that I like screwed up a few times and <laughs> I, I just bear like I had like three chances and I, I screwed up two of them or is that just a canned line? I don't know. But the feedback, I, I did lose one character while hiding in the wardrobe from the presence and I just, I did my darnness, you know, like I, I was doing as best as I could. It just felt like the game was changing the heartbeat on me uh, you know, on purpose, and like I, I, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do, or if I was doing right. it right, and then I'm dead. Um, so I feel like a little bit more feedback, and that would be <laughs> nice, because uh, sometimes, like, like if it's not a puzzle, um, I'm really just following the prompt on on screen and hoping that my character makes it through. I, I think like the weirdest thing about this game is how detached you feel as the player. Like, it is kind of easy to get immersed in. Uh, the the environments and wandering around but then when the gameplay starts with hiding and controlling your breath and your heartbeat it feels a little disconnected doesn't it absolutely in general it feels like so much of this game is like designed to break your immersion uh which i think for any video game is is not great but especially a horror game right because everything about the horror game is if you're immersed if you aren't then it's just more stuff on the screen you know right a jump scare might catch you because it's a loud noise and of course a loud noise is going to catch your attention but otherwise you're just kind of going through the motions which is to say like i think that the, the the developers did a phenomenal job with this game it just tends to have a few more criticisms of it than than praises because uh Mm -hmm. that there is a lot of work left to do i think um even though i i don't think this is early access at all it's it's in its finished state as far as i can tell which um i i would hope that if they if they do update it uh that some of those things that we have talked about are you know thought of and altered for this for protocol games's next project um, I really hope they take what they've learned from this game and, and implement it in some fresh and interesting ways. I think that there are some phenomenal ideas for a horror game contained in this package. Uh, just some of the execution could have been better. Absolutely. Well, then let's uh, move right onto the sauce, yeah? Let's do it. All right, folks, welcome to the sauce where we give the game our final score. Uh, what are we rating this? Like, what's our scale? Zero to ten. Uh, let's do, well, I, we'll do music boxes, I guess. That's like their... Big, yeah, it's not really a thing. That's Maybe their, that's another problem we're finding with the game. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's, a little, it's, it's a little thin. Like, on paper, it, it sounds great, but in, in practice, it's just a little bit thin where there could be a lot more meat and potatoes, um, both narratively and within gameplay. I think I figured it out. Like I, I can see the the inspiration from games like Silent Hill and Resident Evil, but like each of those games standing on their own 
just feel like they have more to offer, even with how mm-hmm. old they are. All right, what did you think of? I think we should give it zero out of ten numbers. Just numbers. Just numbers. Just numbers. If if we can't think of a thing, what do you want from us? You know, it's just numbers. <laughs> All right. I think that Song of Horror for me, I would give it a six out of ten numbers. And 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 I'm I'm I think I'm being a little bit generous, but um I gotta say again that the the atmosphere the environments they nailed that i i think right. that some of those scares that are littered throughout the game are really well done and walking around is creepy and unnerving it's just the actual gameplay itself when you when you encounter the presence the ways that you interact with it uh the controls for your character and in some cases the narrative just they're, they're, they're not quite there, and I feel like there's more work to be done, um, though this is a completed package, so I don't think there is more work being done on this game. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, Protocol Games will take what they've learned here and incorporate it in a new project with much more gusto, um, because I think that they could make a really, really powerful horror game. Uh, with all of those pieces aligned properly. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that all sounds good. Uh, I'm also going to give it six out of ten numbers. Uh, and and I guess you know honestly, I don't really have anything more to add, except I do want to reiterate that uh, again. I do think this is an achievement for these folks. If I had made this game, I would feel proud. This is a a very good first outing for this studio. Uh, given that it is such a small project, I think it does a lot of stuff very very well. And, uh, the horror aspects are very charming. Uh, there's something really special here. I just think it didn't quite hit the mark. It's so close. Like they have, it's so close. It's so close. They have so many good ideas here. There's just like something, the glue that's holding it all together. I don't know. Maybe it was just crusty when they opened the bottle. Maybe that's it. Who knows? Um, but you know, uh, their their website is still online. I think they're still making games. Song of Horror is this studio's only game that I could see. So for a first game, especially one in the indie space, like absolute congratulations! Like that is phenomenal. They should be proud. Um, right, and and it's relatively new, I believe, too. Like this right. is not a. So hopefully, there we will get to see more from them, and we'll see them really master their craft. Yeah, that's that's really what I hope for. I think that all the workings are there and, you know, their next project might be the thing that, uh, you know, stands up next to like the, the horror gaming giants and stands there proudly. That is what I hope. Maybe it'll be the thing. We, we It's what we need. We need more good horror games. And, you know, Always. I'd, I'd say that this one is an all right horror game. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a pretty short one. Let's do a spooky gaming moment. Spooky gaming moment. And the song is going to sound like the heated gaming moment song, but, uh, you know, imagination. It's time for the heated gaming moment! Uh, my spooky gaming moment is actually not a game at all, but I watched Malignant, the new James Wan horror movie on HBO Max. Have you heard about that, Michael? Yes, you've told me about it. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, well, I'm going to tell you about it again. So, uh, you know, give me some oohs and ahs when I say things. Uh, and so Malignant is, uh, it's one of those movies that Warner Brothers is releasing uh, day and date on HBO Max, uh, same as its theatrical preview or premiere. And it uh, it's a very strange movie. <laughs> uh, I think I really, really liked it. Um, but it's definitely much campier than expected, and it feels like a movie that uh, would have come out in the like mid aughts. Um, it's it's truly wild, and but I do have to say I haven't seen all of James Wan's movies, but I think the thing I love most about it is there is a sense of earnestness in all of his movies, where he it doesn't feel like he's trying to subvert anything. I really believe the man wanted to make a campy B movie, and because he just made Aquaman and made Warner Brothers a bunch of money, they let him make this absolutely wild movie, and I think I love him for it. <laughs> uh, it, it was wild. I, I don't want to get into spoilers, uh, but speaking of Warner Brothers, and because we've talked about this on the show before, did you see that Christopher Nolan is making a movie about Oppenheimer uh, for Universal? He's officially done with Warner Brothers. Uh, I am become Universal. He got so mad about them putting Tenet on HBO Max that he's done with them. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, wow. I guess... And it, oh, it's so funny. I guess Christopher Nolan just doesn't want people to see his movie, but, you know, it, it's him. It's his stuff. He can do with it whatever he wants. Right, but, like, uh, just the f- throwing a tantrum over Tenet is the funniest <laughs> thing uh, in a while. I have, I have a moment as well to share. We, we recorded Evil Dead previously already but i didn't talk too much about evil dead 2 in that mm-hmm. and i just do really want to say how much i love that movie real quick it has <laughs> the best camp in a horror movie ever um and i'm not i i think the pacing in that movie is really good too um some of the like makeup and the special effects on camera i think are a little bit better than evil dead 2013 honestly um ash's deadite face is just very good um i i i really really enjoy it and i think the cameras uh the like the deadite uh evil cam in evil dead 2 is better than it is in the re in, in the reboot it's just more erratic and sinister like i I don't know how like a shaky camera being like a, a man holding a camera and running through the woods and shaking it you know is sinister but uh you know they did it there for sure i don't know ashy slashy just <laughs> just just a good good flick and i i need to watch army of darkness because i have not had a chance to rewatch it again this year yet for the spooky season We're gonna go back in time and fight the deadites and that's all there is to it. <laughs> all there is to what? <laughs> to, to, I don't know, Army no, of it. Darkness. <laughs> well, you definitely have to watch uh, Malignant and uh, yes. let me know what you think of it. Because I think, I think you'll be into it as well. Uh, it's, it's so funny. It's hilarious. And uh, I saw there's some debate online about if people think if it has to be intentional or not. And um, uh, it has to be. There's no way it's not. Cause, uh, well, a good campy movie... Yeah, I mean, it's like Cabin in the Woods, you know, like, is this, is this like intentionally not funny or supposed to be funny or is right. it, you know, supposed to be a straightforward horror movie? I I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time thinking that anybody would be like, was the camp intentional? Aside from like a Tommy Wiseau film, 
specifically one Tommy Wiseau film. Right, right. <laughs> the, the Tommy Wiseau the film. The Tommy Wiseau film, right, yes. right. Uh, and I just even think about Aquaman, which was also James Wan, and how Aquaman had, it, it had a perfect awareness of what it was. Uh, and again, it was not trying to subvert a superhero movie. It was a huge blockbuster action movie about a guy who lives in the sea. And it's awesome. And that movie had such an immense respect for your time because it had the decency to end every single dialogue scene with an explosion. <laughs> and I'm truly grateful for that. And also, uh, it for me is still the gold standard of comic book movies that exceed two hours in length because at the end of it, you know what we get, Michael? What do we... We get Julie Andrews voicing the Kraken. Okay. That's your reward. You sat through this. Hey, here's Mary Poppins as an, a creature of myth, and she's 100 feet tall. It's incredible. So there's no way that the man who made that movie did not make the campiest horror movie I've seen in recent memory on purpose. I got to see this. You said it's campy. I got to see it. I love some good camp. <laughs> I don't I don't want to say any more because I don't want to flavor your, uh, your view of it. Uh, but if you're listening to this and you're a fan of horror... And also your Michael, co-host of the podcast, you should watch it. I'm a few of those things. I think I'll watch it. <laughs> You're all of them, <laughs> really. <laughs> well, uh, this is an incredibly short one, but I also feel like we've said everything we need to say. Yeah, I'm actually scrolling through some reviews of Song of Horror on Steam right now, and you can choose to keep this if you want to, but... I'll treasure it forever one of the first not recommended I've seen is like games just a bit thin. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Well, uh, I think we can wrap it up there and do you want to play some split gate buddy? Yeah, I'd be down for that. Okay. Bye everyone. We're going to go play split gate. Okay.